I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Down the blind, Andrew Gunn. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. He's got the ball. Jared Hayes. Hey, superstar, superhuman. Collie Montelite. The speed of the ball. He hits it. He's got it. G'day guys, welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today we bring you part one of our interview with Martin Afire. Martin Afire is one of the greatest footballers the world has ever seen. Playing in England, he scored more than 500 tries in his career, which is simply unbelievable. Today, Martin takes us through the very start of his childhood. He takes us through all of his schooling, all of his sporting achievements when he was younger. He was a cricketer. He played a lot of rugby union, and he eventually was spotted by league when he was 17 or so. Now, funnily enough, he goes to St. Helens, one of the proudest rugby league clubs in England, and there's a scout there that refers to him as an uncoordinated clown. A year later, he makes his first grade debut for Widness. It takes him four tries to score his first try, But he goes on that season to score a world record, 42 tries. He also wins the Man of Steel Award in his first season. So I want you to imagine, in the NRL, in 2021, if a winger burst onto the scene, it took them four weeks to score their first try, then they proceeded to score another 41 tries, and they won the Dalian medal. A simply unbelievable story, and it's just the very beginning of his career. We then go into the 1988 England Tour of Australia, where he travels with Great Britain, and that's where he comes up against guys like Wally Lewis, Peter Sterling, Wayne Pearce, some of the best to ever do it. Now, yes, Martin Afire's career in England was simply unbelievable, but he did come down to Australia twice to test himself, and he touches on that today. He comes to the Roosters and he comes to the Dragons in two separate stints. Does very well here, scores plenty of tries, as he tends to do. We also touch on the 1990 Kangaroo Tour. So this is when Australia went to Great Britain. And this is, I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, this is my favourite series of rugby league of all time. I think this 1990 Kangaroo Tour is the best group of footballers that has ever ever been assembled. You know, we're talking Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly. We're talking Alan Langer. We're talking... 
Bradley Clyde, just some of the absolute freaks of our game. And they go over to England, and it is one of the best series of all time. And thankfully, Martin, he gets to play in that, so he touches on that series as well. We then get to 1992, when he's touring Australia with the Great Britain side. And this is one of the things he's best known for, and it still irks him to this day. You can hear it in his voice. His race with Lee Oden Ryan at Parramatta Stadium. This is Lee Odenrein, a young 22-year-old coming out of Parramatta who's pretty quick. He's got some good wheels on him. And he Lee Odenrein absolutely shocks the rugby league world by defeating Martin O'Fire in this race. And to hear him talk about it is really interesting. Unbelievable scenes. When Martin returns to England, he signs with Wigan. And this is where his try-scoring feats, they just go to a complete new level. And he just takes rugby league by storm. This is one of the most amazing rugby league stories you'll ever hear, I guarantee you. It's a story that we haven't heard much about in Australia, but Martin Afire's life, it's Afire's belief. This is part one. Part two will be dropping next Tuesday. Let's kick it off. And this man, Martin Afire, the world's most lethal try-scorer, the whole length of the field, and they are in the lead. Martin Afire, welcome on. How are we, mate? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, how are you, Nathan? Yeah, all going well, mate. I've been uh, I've been having a look at your stats over the last few days, getting ready for this interview, and I, I, I swear I had to go through and double-check some of them. They're, they're simply beyond belief. I know. That's the kind of things, like, uh, a lot of people um, who talk to me about my career, and that's why I have no – because of my stats, and that's why I have no um, uh, worry or fears when people put me in a certain category or, or say something, because I say – Whoever you could have put ahead of me, I probably scored more tries than them anyway. So I, don't, I think Billy Boston's only the only person still alive who's probably scored more tries than me. And I'll say, in my era, no one scored as many tries as I did. I don't care how good a player they were, and no one's ever going to score that amount of tries again anyway. I think um, I, had, I, had, I felt like sometimes I had the cheat code. <laughs> well, mate, I ran the numbers today. You're only 500 in front of me, so you're doing all right. <laughs> Mate, tell me about your childhood. I mean, I'm assuming you were probably a pr- pretty talented athlete as a kid. No, I had. Uh, uh, I come from a talented family of athletes. My elder brother, older sister, were always faster than me. Even though my sister was only a year older than me, um, yeah, my brother was three years older than me. He was child. I looked up to him, and um, the, the first time I beat him in a race was when I was about 22 years old. I think I just come back off the first Great Britain tour. In uh, 88, the first time I think uh, we Great uh, Britain beat Australia in Australia for a number of years. And I think I remember g- giving my brother a race. I said, finally, Jake, I'm going to give you a race. And I actually beat him down the street. So I'd been a uh, professional athlete for about two years before I, before I finally managed to beat him. So he, he was a fantastic um, and sportsman. But um, growing up, I, I wasn't always the quickest. Uh, I, I was decent. I was a good cross-country runner at 11 years old. Um, I remember... To this day, even when I was, because obviously I grew up playing rugby union at school, I couldn't even make my uh, school sevens team when I was about 13, 14 years old. You know, people who were at my school still remind me of that fact on Facebook to this day. There was a guy called Mark Polloway, <laughs> who was probably the, the most talented sportsman, batsman, uh, uh, always used to run, win the 100 meter sprints at sports day. And yeah, so it was only when I got to, I think I was a, a late developer around puberty. It's only when I started to get to around 14, 15, 16, did I find myself getting quicker. And yeah, so, you know, at a young age, I, I was quick around about 11, but then, I don't know, I just uh, didn't really develop early in puberty. And you know, so I wasn't that quick. 
But then all of a sudden on rugby pitches, I, it was just like weird. As I said, I, I felt like sometimes I was in a video game. I was just like running away from people. And I used to think to myself, what's, what's all this about? Where did, where did all this come from? That's why I always say to people, you never know how life's going to pan out. So just always keep trying. And um, yeah, just when I got to about 18, 19, I left school, uh, joined a, a rugby union team called Roslyn Park and um, got picked to, to play in um, the Hong Kong Sevens in 87. And uh, yeah, I think there was a, a, a all-black winger called Terry Wright, who I managed to, to run round, and everyone was like, you know, that's the first time I'd ever signed the autographers in Hong Kong after playing in, in this team. I think um, uh, Campesi and the Australian team, they, they were there. And uh, yeah, just uh, came back to England, didn't get picked to, to play in the first Rugby Union World Cup, even though I, I came back, played for the Barbars, was there at Uncat player in 87 on the Easter Tour which they used to have, uh, sort of did some quite special things in the middle sevens and other sevens competitions. But yeah, didn't get picked. I remember scoring two tries outside um, Rory Underwood in a, one of the final trials, London versus the North. And um, yeah, I think I was the only winger who played that day who didn't go to the World Cup. You know, it was Mark Bailey and, and, and another winger. You know, so it was three of them all went to the World Cup. I didn't go. Um, back then, there was no such thing as social media. You, you didn't get... You know, there was no sort of weight of the press saying, oh, you, this guy's got to go, you've got to pick him. So, uh, yeah, so I was primed to be uh, snapped up by by Rugby League. You know, Doug Lawton, who was the witness coach, came calling and, uh, you know, fed me all what I thought was a load of baloney, how he thought I was going to become one of the greatest wingers in the game. I was, yeah, I was like, yeah, whatever. But um, just um, the opportunity to um, uh, become a professional athlete came about and... Um, I just took it with uh, both hands. And obviously, you know, you'd have plenty of raps to come over the next few years, but I want to ask you about one quote I found from uh, someone at St. Helens referred to you as an uncoordinated clown. <laughs> now, I've been called a few good things in my lifetime, but that's one hell of a sledge, mate. Yeah, um, apparently, um, before I, you know, as I say, I was starting to make waves in, in Union after I came back from playing in Hong Kong and, and playing for the Bar Bars. It was a big thing back then to be, you know, it was like the next big thing. And I remember scoring a hat-trick in the game against Cardiff for the Bar Bars, playing outside Will Carlin, the future England captain, and Nigel Starmer-Smith, uh, the commentator, saying, you know, you know, when this guy gets in an England shirt, he is going to do amazing things. And that was the catalyst, I think, then for a lot of rugby league clubs to come look at me. And Ray French, the famous uh, rugby league commentator, tells a story about um, some um, ex-pupils of his who were playing for Waterloo had played against him. And I remember scoring a try against Waterloo where I literally, I think I ran across my own try line and then just turned left and scored, <laughs> ran the whole length of the field and scored and scored a try. And um, yeah, so these guys came back raving about me. So he apparently went and told, being an ex-St. Helens uh, player, he went and told the St. Helens bored about me apparently they sent somebody down to watch me my next game and obviously I didn't impress them too much because the talk was that I was an uncoordinated clown or something and uh, so apparently he went to Dougie Lawton Dougie Lawton came back to watch me and I must have had a bit of a better game because uh, he um, um, you know uh, made a point to come and sign me um, 12 months later the uncoordinated clown he scores 42 tries in his debut season that defies belief um, yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I didn't score for the first three games. I think the longest in my whole career, I think, uh, and that's rugby union and rugby league, is, is three games. That's the longest I've ever gone without scoring a try. And, uh, you know, there's not many people who are going to, you know, score, play, should I say, over 400 games, play 15 years 
and score more tries than, than the games they played in, you know, and, um, you know, that record stood with me with the uh, Union, playing sevens, playing sevens in, in, in Sydney, um, uh, playing in the NRL, um, or the Winfield Cup as it was back then. Um, yeah, so I, I had a pretty, I had a pretty good, good strike rate and, um, yeah, I just felt like I had the cheat code. I learned from, I, you know, I used to watch people like Campesi. I used to see that his hitch kick that he used to do because Campesi wasn't the quickest rugby league player. But he, you know, he had this like little sharp thing. So I took things from him. I took things from uh, Ellery Hanley and Sean Edwards. You know, I learned how to become uh, a support player. I used to always just think to myself, I can do what you can do. You can't do what I can do. And, you know, that's why. And I always just think to myself, you know, if I always used to look at wingers who played on the left wing, I'm thinking if you only score tries down the left wing um, you know you can only score a certain amount of tries you can't score you know you've got to be everywhere to score all those tries and so I just thought I, as I say I just felt like I had the cheat code I just felt like I had it and I just had this desire burning desire to score tries I loved it you know I, I got, got great joy out of it with a scoring against the Kiwis scoring against the the uh, Kangaroos you know scoring against club teams I just I just loved it I used to get excited about scoring tries in training People who say to me, you know, like we're playing, you know, touch and pass and trading, and you've scored a hat trick. I always think to myself, you know, if you can't score a hat trick in, uh, you know, unopposed or, or or trading, how are you going to score a hat trick in a game? So that that was just just loved it, and and also people said I couldn't play. You know, that was another motivator. I think stemming from my childhood, that everyone always used to say that my brother was, you know, a better rugby player than me. Everyone always used to say, even to this day, I hear people say, you know, that fine. He's, he's only fast. He could only run, he can't play. So I, I've always had that knock against me and I've always had to prove myself. Even when I went to, to Sydney the first time, you know, um, they said I couldn't play. And I remember coming back and I think I, I was the man of the series in 1992, Nissan World Sevens. I think I scored four tries against the Broncos. And uh, I think it was, you know, Daryl Lee said, one of the commentators said, oh, you know, this guy, he could play a bit now. You know what I mean? It's, just a, it's like I had to do so much just to prove, I had to do things that, were just unheard of just for people to say I was all right. You know, I don't know whether that came from being black or being, you know, just from my parents, you know, like, you know, I was the run of the litter. I was the only one in my family, who, the whole family who hasn't got a degree. You know, I was always, it was always, you know, I dyslexia. It was, I was always the case growing up, what I'm going to do with Martin. You know, I was always like the one to, um, um, you know, think of was least likely to, to succeed. And, you know, even now when they all rib me and say, you haven't got, you know, you haven't got a proper degree because I've only got an honor degree from uh, John Moore's university. I would say, yeah, I might not have a degree, but I've only, I'm the only one who's got an MBE so that's, and a statue. So I think I'll take an MBE and a statue over over a degree. <laughs> Mate, uh, another time that you proved them all wrong, 1988, your debut season, you get the Man of Steel Award. Now, I imagine there's not a heap of wingers that take home that crown, right? I don't think, I think, uh, may, I'm not sure, maybe it's Pat Richards might have got uh, got that, you know, and it's never, it's unheard of. No, I don't think anyone has ever won the Man of Steel in their first year. I don't think that, um, um, you know, too many wingers have, have, have won the, the Man of Steel either. Because, you know, I would say the wing is, a hard, is the easiest position to play. But it's the hardest position to win man of the match in. Because if you're going to win man of the match as a winger consistently, you've got to be doing some good shit. And I've always said to them, and the things that I, I felt like it hurt me in some ways, because they gave me the man of steel 
to my first season after scoring 44 tries. You know, just quite a lot of tries. But then I've had better seasons and not won the man. So I just think to myself, that's why, I, you know, in some ways, if I, I think I, 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 was, I was hard done. You know, I scored, you know, more tries the season after I scored a hat-trick in the, in the deciding game against, against Wigan, which is probably arguably the best try I scored. It, it was in that game in, in my history, probably better than the try I scored at Wembley. But sometimes, you know, I mean, in, in life, you you don't dictate, you know, what you're known for. You don't, you know, you don't dictate your legacy. That's just, you know, imposed on you. You know, even the nickname Chariots, or sometimes Great Balls, as I was called. You know, it's only Floyd Maywood, I think, has got to, you know, decide his own nickname. But normally, as a sportsman, your nickname is given to you by the fans. So, um, it was uh, it was it was shocking for me, really, because I just felt, you know, that was not my best season, and I never really got. Um, uh, much notoriety after I was at witness four seasons. I was the top try scorer of all four seasons. You know what I mean? So I we used to get paid back then twenty five pounds a try. I think uh, the the Stones Better, who were the competition sponsors, used to pay the um, uh, top try scorer twenty five pound a try. And I used to factor that into my yearly account. <laughs> I'm going to get. It. <laughs> you know, I used to give a few quid to my centre as well, Darren Wright, and um, yeah, you know, look after them and uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was that, scoring tries as well because I thought, you know, that's undeniable. If you can go into a game, you can score tries. You know what I mean? No one can deny, you know, your your importance to the game. And, uh, you know, I found that out probably until I went to Wigan and John Money, uh, who was the then coach, who was the ex-Paramatta uh, coach, I remember scoring five tries in the semi-final of the Challenge Cup against Bradford Northern. I remember in the team meeting, uh, you know when you have the uh, the showdown, <laughs> the team meeting after you know after the game, and when uh, when anyone who's missed a tackle, you know gets uh, gets embarrassed. And I remember him saying to me, Martin, after, apart from that five tries, what else did you do? And I, I thought he was actually joking, but he wasn't. <laughs> and that's when I sort of you know rugby league sort of said, moved on a pace, and obviously you know it was about work rate and you know running from dummy half and the thi- and you know and, and, and the modern winger, the likes of. Um, what uh, you know, Jason Robinson was you know the precursor for, uh, but yeah, I was just about scoring tries, mate. Those late 80s, early 90s, you burst onto the scene, as we said, man of steel award, 42 tries in your first season. I guess the important stuff, what was a Saturday night like for Martin Afire? Well, pretty boring early on, <laughs> yeah, because we we uh played a lot on a Sunday. Uh, I just remember a lot of, um, yeah, just just going to training. We used to train on a Saturday, have something to eat, get the feed, as they say in Australia, and then just chill out for the rest of the day. And the night time was just watching movies and, and chilling, playing on Sundays. I just, we used to train, playing in the winter as we did back then. We used to um, even train on Christmas Day. I remember many New Year's Eves, you know, um, staying as well. So, yeah, not much um, not much excitement on uh on a Saturday night, but you know, uh, it was all about for me just scoring. You know, as long as I scored, I was happy. I, I used to listen to a lot of sportsmen say, you know, as long as the team won, as long as you know someone scored, they were happy. I know. I remember winning the the, the Lance Todd. I remember signing for Wigan for you know world record free under a lot of pressure. Had a fantastic season. You know, going out to Sydney as I mentioned earlier, winning the um, winning the Nissan Sevens, um, scoring ten tries in a game against Leeds. Uh, as I say, uh, winning the last Todd, scoring two tries, you know, one of them was quite decent as well against Casford. But, you know, I was still not, I was still not happy. You know, when I set out to achieve goals, you know, I wanted to score a hat-trick at Wembley. I wanted to score a length of the field try at Wembley because I knew those were the two things that would, you know, make you remember it. I remember, obviously, Stuart Wright and uh, Henderson Gill 
and lots of other players have scored length of the field tries at Wembley. And I was all about legacy. I knew that I had a moment in the spotlight. And what you did in that time would either mean you were forgotten or you'd be remembered forever. Because I always think that careers, um, uh, you know, can be forgotten, but moments last forever. You know, when you think of a player, you think of a moment, you know, that, that, that player created. And that's what will stay with you. And, uh, you know, I was all about that. And um, I knew that if you didn't score any tries as a winger, who, who remembers a winger that just tackled well <laughs> and did their job? No. You know, if I think wingers, you know, I think Eric Grove, and I think about some of those amazing um, highlights you, you see of him, you know, you know, that's what I think about. And if you can't create those moments, you're not going to be remembered, really. Mate, you speak about moments defining players. And one guy that I want to ask you about that he had so many moments in his career, Ellery Hanley, uh, he's a guy that, in Australia, you know, he was probably he played just long enough ago that we've got some highlights of him, but I don't think people my age and younger are able to appreciate just how good he was. Can you tell us about him? Um, Eric was one of those players. He was, um, you know, once in a generation player. It doesn't matter what era he was playing in, doesn't matter which country he's playing in, doesn't matter which competition he's playing in. That guy was a force of nature, and he just taught me that. You know, Eric wasn't necessarily the most skillfulest of players, um, but he had a, a force of nature. And uh, he was not going to be denied. And he was that kind of guy that, you know, when he he was in the changing room with you, you always knew that you had a chance in whatever game you go into. And that's the biggest compliment I could play to him. Uh, I know he was called the Pearl in Australia. And, um, you know, um, his exploits of Balmain in, in 88, you know, getting to the grand final and if not for getting knocked out by Terry Lamb, <laughs> maybe he, he would have won a grand final over there as well. Uh, but yeah, awesome player, um, arguably, you know, the greatest player that um, the British competition has ever produced. Mate, you were lucky enough to tour with him in 1988 to Australia. What are your memories of that tour? Uh, my memories were being, you know, just listening to him, being around him. Um, you know, I didn't get to play with it, Ellery. You know, a lot of people don't realise I didn't get to play with him at club level because as um, he went out the door, that's when I got bought by Morris Lindsay, you know. Uh, so yeah, but obviously toured with him in, in 88 and that was the first time I really got spent you know time in his, com- in his company learned a lot taught me a lot about business about you know about life about um about so much and and about about rugby as well and as I say I learned so much from him and I have to um pay homage to him and that I wouldn't probably have scored as many tries as I did in my career if I wasn't around players like Ellery and Sean Edwards. Mate, obviously that 1988 tour, I was having a look at that kangaroo team. I mean, Gary Jack, E.T., Sturlow, Wally, Vaughton, Wayne Pearce, star-studded. Who's the who's the one that you remember being, you know, the toughest challenge from the Australian side? Obviously, you know, Andrew Ettenhausen is is, is probably the, the the player that, um of all the, the my my times in Australia, that uh, I remember having, you know, wars against, apart from the old, right, but we'll get on to him later on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, from that time, I just remember, I remember that um, the first person I ever um, heard about from Australia was Wally Lewis. I remember asking somebody when I just signed for witness because I didn't know anything about rugby league, and I remember saying, Who, who's the best rugby player in the world? And they said, oh, some guy from Australia called Wally. And uh, from where I'm from in, in London, the, the term Wally is a derogatory <laughs> term. So I thought, what? You're trying to tell me the best rugby player in the world is a Wally. <laughs> so I always find that quite funny. But he was a player that I you know I, I used to love watching Wally Lewis play for the Broncos. We used to get these um, um, uh, VHS videos from uh, Micron Video. And I used to, to get them every week. We used to get highlights of the, the Winfield Cup. This is 
talking priests of satellite television and, and, and transatlantic, uh, you know, viewing. Um, yeah, we used to just get VHSs. I remember going to Michael Video, getting the VHSs and watching Wally Lewis play for the Broncos with Gene Miles. And I used to think to myself, wow, these guys are amazing. The Broncos have always been a team that I've held in high esteem. We used to love their, their playing jerseys back in the day and used to love this Wally Lewis. And he was just so mercurial and, and um, you know, just the thought I was in awe of going to, to play in that 88 uh, test matches. And I was actually going to play against Wally Lewis. And, and my memory is in the third test, I think, when we won. And with all those great players, and I couldn't believe that I've actually played in the game against these people, and I've scored a try, and we've won. And uh, Mike Gregory, uh, I think, might score the final try in that game with a length of the field run. And I think there's an iconic picture of, of Mike Gregg running and Wally Lewis holding my jersey. <laughs> and I always believe that Wally Lewis had held my jersey, I probably would have scored that try. But, you know, I always look on the positive and, you know, it just made such a great picture, you know, to be held back by Wally Lewis that he thought I was such a threat. And Mike Gregg, who is no longer with us now, uh, you know, a captain of Great Britain, to go in and score that try. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that game is going to be a special game. And uh, it's not many times I think of a special moment when I didn't actually score, but to be in, in, in that frame, in that picture, being held back by Wally Lewis and, and Mike Gregg scoring, um, yeah, that, that's part of rugby league folklore here in Great Britain. Mate, it's one hell of a compliment to have the king holding you back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I know that Wally's got his uh, statue, I think, up in Brisbane at Lang Park. And, you know, and, and I'm honoured and proud to have my statue outside Wembley. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Mate, obviously during that 1988 tour, and uh, my, my facts could be wrong, but I believe you also had a race against Dale Shearer and Chicka Ferguson. That was at Wentworth Park, which is actually a few hundred metres from where I'm recording at the moment in Sydney. What are your memories from that yeah. night? It's, um, you know, the funny thing is because no one ever talks about that race. No one ever mentions it. And even when I say it, people say, is their foot? I don't know. You know, because I remember it was at a dog track. Um, uh, yeah, I remember I won the race. Uh, but, yeah, as I say, it's not, I've run a few races in my time. I've actually beaten... Um, the European 200-meter indoor champion, a guy called Adi Mathi. I've also um, uh, beaten a guy called Dave Grinley, who was an international 400-meter runner at a race in, uh, I think it was in 1992, at uh, Central Park. Um, but yeah, I don't, I've never seen any footage of that race. Um, uh, never seen any really mention of it at all. Um, but uh, so I, I only hear mention of the, the race in uh, 92 at Parramatta Stadium, obviously when Leo de Ryan beat me. And, uh, you know, I've been scratching my head for many a decade, wondering how I w- lost that race. And, um, uh, yeah, you know, I also put it down to the fact that, obviously, you know, when you, if you see the race, I did slip at the beginning. He got the jump on me. Um, um, you know, I was rushed into that race. Um, you know, but there's lots of reasons why I could do it. But I was just used to think to myself, I'm not going to, make all the excuses I'm just going to take it on the chin and I just say you know that's the only race that I've ever lost you know but now it just turns out um you know one of the reasons <laughs> why I lost the race 
mate, I think you did Odin Ryan the biggest uh, the biggest favour of his life just quietly. I think that's why he's remembered in rugby league history. I think uh, to myself, I don't. I, I wouldn't know who Leo Ryan was if he didn't beat that. Him. Makes two of us <laughs> in that race. But then sometimes, you know, that's the way life goes. And as I say, I, you know, if I'd have beaten him, maybe it wouldn't be remembered at all because you know. He wasn't that great a player. People also think I, I scored two tries against him in that game. I don't remember him gaining on me at all. I kept thinking to myself, God, he doesn't seem that fast in the game, even though he was, you know, a pretty quick runner because, you know, you know, giving me his dues, he was he was pretty quick. And I know he was young and just coming into the game. But, you know, as I say, I've beaten Chica Ferguson and Dale Shearer, two legends of the game. And as I say, no one ever talks about that. Mate, um, after that, you, you return in 1989. You're the top try scorer. Once again, tell me about that season. I mean, you're backing up off your first year and we all know about, you know, the dreaded second year syndrome that seems to haunt a lot of athletes around the world. Was that a worry for you or was the confidence just too high? No, the confidence was too high. I just went on, I used to go on the pitch with great confidence. I used to think to myself, God, man, I've got this dialed in. I've got this dialed in mentally. You know, I can read the game. I learned to, to be a support player. I was I was literally ahead of my game. I was, you know, I was sprinting with sprinters in the off season. Um, you know, I was, as I say, I used to get um, videos and I was a student of the game. Um, yeah, I, was, I, I used to work hard, but people used to think I could only play, I could only run, but I, I, I was definitely a student of the game. I, I definitely was going to it and getting knowledge. And I always thought, as long as I can stay fit and healthy and I'm up to scratch, it, it's just a mathematical equation that I should score tries. I, I just didn't, it just didn't make sense to me how I could not score tries. Because I said, we make breaks. I'm playing in a good team. You know, if he's over there, I'm reading it, you know. I used to visualise things. I said, there's only so many, there's certain rugby players on a rugby league pitch. You know, you know who makes breaks. You know who, uh, you know all the plays. You know how everything works. Um, it's not rocket science to know, you know, there's not too many uh, um, combinations that you could get to where you can score a try. It's like, you know, you break through, you go, you're, you're in support. He who shouts loudest gets the ball, which I know if someone, Makes and he use it's like the, the you know the self fulfilling prophecy. If I'm on someone's shoulder and we're on winning money, who are they going to give the ball to? <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to look at you know look at Mark Coyne when he makes that break. Um, um and the commentator is saying, "Don't talk about that." <laughs> he, he was looking for me, so it became sort of like that when I played for my sentence. You know, they made a break. They're like saying, "Where's mine?" And if I get in the open, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish. Mate, you talk about being a student of the game. Of course, at the end of 1989, you make your first venture to Australia to play for an NRL club. You arrive at the Roosters and one of 10,000 superstars the Roosters have brought from all over the world. How did you find that experience? Um, I enjoyed it. It was a different experience playing in, in Sydney. You know, if I'm honest, I, I, you know, I probably played a bit too much rugby early on. I didn't have an, I didn't have an off-season until 1995. From 87 till 95. Um, I think when I had my first off-season, I was literally either playing in Sydney or on tour, you know, and then coming back and playing here and being the top try for every time. So, so sooner or later, something was going to break, you know, and, you know, I think it broke in my body in in, in 93. I think I had an a injury halfway through the season in 91. So, you know, you know, and um, I think even in 89, I had sort of a little bit of a, a dip. So, but I was, I'm literally trying to, to play too much, but I loved playing, you know, you, you were, it was a finance thing as well. I was earning money. 
Um, I just knew no other way to do things, really. And, um, you know, it was tough. But, you know, I still managed to score a few tries. I was still proud of my record that I had in Sydney football. When you count up the, the number of games I played and the number of tries I scored, you know, it's still stacked up. And um, I think I, I, I scored against Ellery. Ellery was playing against Western Suburbs. I was playing for Western Suburbs, I think. I was playing for East. I think I scored even my first or second touch in the competition in my white boots. Um, thought I'd make a statement. Um, but yeah, you know, I enjoyed my time uh, playing in Sydney. It was slightly tougher, but, you know, I, it was something I enjoyed. I just enjoyed playing rugby and I just thought the things that I brought to the game, you know, would work anywhere. Was there much hype around your move to the Roosters when you came to Sydney? Um... Uh, not really. I think there was probably more hype in, in 91, but then by the likes of, you know, Jonathan Davis came over to play for Canterbury Bagstown as well. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it was great. You know, I suppose, yeah, in, 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 nine, in 89, I suppose I'd, I'd been there and I'd played in, in, in 88 in the chess matches and, you know, and, um, you know, copped a bit, you know, as you do in, when you come with a bit of a reputation into, into Sydney. Um, but, um, you know, I left it my head held high, um, did well in 89, scored a few tries. Um, yeah, so, you know, as I say, I'm proud of my record in, in Sydney. Um, yeah, I think uh, 91 was, uh, you know, especially the first half of the season, you know, I, you know, I copped a, 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 um, a groin strain. And so I think my try scoring sort of fell off. I think in the first half of my time there, I think I scored nearly every game and then, got a bit of a, a groin injury and things were, were a bit tougher. But I'd say, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard. That's why I was always like to make hay while the sun shone because you always, you never knew where your next injury was, was going to happen or, you know, there's lots of players who, who we know have, have had lots of injuries and, you know, haven't really, you know, um, uh, managed to reach their full potential. But I really do feel that in my rugby career, I managed to really squeeze that orange and, and get as much out of it as I can. And, you know, to score the number of tries that I scored, you have to have played a few games. Hey, before we get to the 1991, when you return to Sydney, I want to ask you about uh, the 1990 Kangaroo Tour when they come to England. And for me, the 1986 Kangaroos, they're obviously referred to um, as the Invincibles. But for me, that 1990 squad, I think it's the best squad Australia's ever put together. The results didn't quite reflect that. But I think man for man, it's one of the most talented squads we've ever sent over to England. What are your memories from that tour? Uh, my memories, uh, that's the closest I ever came to winning an Ashes uh, tour. I think we were 90 seconds away. Um, Mal Meninga fell on my, I think I scored in the first test at Wembley. Mal Meninga fell on my knee. And I just, even to this day, when I go out walking for my fastest walks in the morning, and I feel that knee creaking, I still remember Big Mal fell on my knee in the second test. Uh, I think I'd rather get hit by a bus than Mal Meninga. I think uh, Carl Gibson went on to the wing in my position took the dummy off um, uh, Ricky Stewart and uh, couldn't get back. And I just think it was, if I, Mal Meninga didn't fall on my knee, we would have, I would have won the Nashes series. And that, to this day, you know, people think about, you've got, you've won so much in your career, you've done so things, but it's still, that's the thing that's going to probably haunt me to the grave, you know, uh, that and probably the uh, Lee Oden Ryan race, but now I can let that, finally let that go. But <laughs> the Ashes... The Ashes um, uh, uh, tour of 1990, uh, the Kangaroo tour, that's going to be the thing that, you know, I just kept thinking, you know, you know if, that, if, if, only, if only I was on the pitch at that time, there's no way Ricky Stewart is going down that 
that that, that wing and uh, Mal scoring, it just wouldn't have happened. And uh, you know, but it did. And uh, you know, the Kangaroos—they definitely got out of jail that, that day. Mate, you mentioned Mal Meninga there. What was it like for you to mark Mal Meninga? Obviously, he was at centre, but I mean, it's not a one-man job to mark Mal Meninga. I'm sure you must have had your eyes on him. Um, marking Mal Meninga, you know, I uh, was, um, um, you know, I think uh, even in 92, was uh, like uh, trying to, uh, you know, what I assume it must have been like trying to mark um, Jonah Lomu. You know, that's the closest thing I can I can imagine uh on a rugby pitch, you know, someone who is just literally larger than the game, larger than life, um, you know, big male. I know he had these troubles with injury, you know, with those broken arms that he sustained, but it was tough, you know, I think it was just like literally trying to throw yourself at him. I think Kevin Ira was another player who um, you know, was, you know, was pretty tough for me to tackle, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll give me speed any day rather than size, you know I mean? I think to myself that, you know, uh, Size is never going to get you uh, get you 500 tries. Speed is speed is what kills. Mate, uh, obviously 1991, as we said, you returned to the Dragons. Can I ask why didn't you end up at the Roosters again? I didn't end up at. I was meant to end up at the Roosters, as I said. You know, I was really starting to make a name for myself on on both sides of the pond um, uh, with my try scoring exploits. Had a good time um, in '89 at the Roosters, and I'd signed a contract to go back to the Roosters in um, in '91. For some reason, uh, Nick Politis and, and the rest of the board uh, decided to um, cancel that contract. I don't know if it, you know, if it was due to the fact that I decided to um, uh, put Ellery as my other half coming out that, that year. I don't know. You'd have to ask the Roosters why they, they, they ripped up my contract, but they did. So I went to St. George. I was scrapping around. As I, say, I just did not want to play. So I was scrapping around for a deal. Um, Brian Smith and uh, the Dragons came up. With, with something which was, I tell you, literally less than half of what I was on uh, <laughs> at the Roosters. But you know, I had a pre- point to prove, and I wanted to go to Sydney. I enjoyed playing in Sydney. I enjoyed the lifestyle out there. I just wanted to be there, so I, I took it. And um, yeah, obviously, when I knew that um, I was going to play against Eastern Suburbs um, while I was over there, you know, I was I was ultra motivated to to play that night at the Sydney Football Stadium. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, my greatest night in uh, Sydney football. Mate, I was lucky enough to have Rowan Smith, Brian's uh, young bloke, on a few months ago. And obviously his father, Brian, he's one of the most polarising characters in rugby league history. It seems to be blokes either love him or they hate him. How did you find your relationship with Brian when you are at St. George? Oh, God, I I loved him. It was me and uh, um, Ricky Walford on on the... uh, on the other wing. And, uh, yeah, we... we used, to, we, used to, we used to love it, you know, two blackbirds playing on either wing. He used to give us, uh, you know, carte blanche, a free roam. And it was funny, really, because he used to commentate on uh, English TV, uh, you know, for rugby matches. And uh, he wasn't a big fan of mine. He used to dog me off a lot of times <laughs> in my witness days, you know, and have a go at me for celebrating and, and say, this is not right. And, you know, I just got the, the feeling that he didn't like me, so... When uh, Smith signed me for the um, for the Dragons, I thought, "How's this going to go?" But when I got over there, he loved me, you know, and uh, you know, it was, it was a great relationship. One I enjoyed, you know, I was happy when I was there, you know, uh, had some great games, and uh, you know, we got really close to qualifying for the finals, and just uh, didn't quite make it. Mate, once you return to England, um, 
you sign with Wigan and it starts an unbelievable journey. I, I, if my stats are right, 159 games for 186 tries. So you scored more than a try a game. That is unbelievable. I think my stats were, um, I think, on, on a similar vein for witness, you know, there's there's no one I think who's had the stats that I have had for for two clubs, and um, yeah, it's that 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 first half season I think playing outside Gene Miles, you know, what a what a joy it was to play outside Gino, and only for half a season I literally cried when I heard that Gene Miles was coming back for the '93 season. And all due respect to you know Andrew Farah. Um, you know, but playing um, with G Miles, it was just, uh, you know, we just clicked instantly. Um, you know, someone I'd watched, I'd seen how he played with his offloads and back Gino then was getting on and he didn't even want to run sometimes, but he'd get through and just see me then just out the back door. He loved it. And um, yeah, it, I think it was just sometimes everything works. And that, that Wigan team in 92, you know, the great things we did as say coming over to Sydney as well and beating the Broncos and the Nissan Sevens. Um, uh, it was just, it was just awesome for that that first year. You know, since, since I think in the spaces of two, I scored seventeen tries in two weeks. I think it was, uh, I think I scored five in in a semi final uh, of the Challenge Cup. I think I scored two in the final. I think I and I think I scored, um, um, you know, that that ten in, the, in another semi final was just ridiculous try scoring feats it was even I you know it's not many times you astound yourself and even when I say to my sons now you know yeah I remember scoring 10 tries in a game they're like no you didn't you know if not for YouTube people would call me a liar when I you know I always say to people now that thank god for YouTube because you know you can go and put my name and you'll see all the try scoring feats and it's there for everyone to see and I just think of myself um you know there are some great wingers now and I just I just, uh, you know, love watching, you know, the Fox uh, play uh, for the Storm. And, and, and I just think to myself, imagine if someone was doing what I was doing in this modern era with social media. It would just be, you know, even though in my time I was still on billboards and, you know, and, and, and doing um, commercials for Nike and stuff like that. But I just said, you know, if someone scored half the tries that I did in this modern game, you know, they would say that I would, they were far better player than I was playing. And that's why sometimes, you know, um, uh, I did what I did because I think I compare myself, you know, to everyone that even in now when I hear them, you know, talk about wingers in, in, in Super League in the English competition, they always say, oh yeah, you know, this guy is the, you know, the greatest try scorer in the Super League era. You know, I was trying to compete against people like Brian Bevan, who was an Australian winger who came over, who scored 700 tries, you know, but, you know, and they weren't playing in, in, in uh, you know, a one, you know, division competition. They were just playing all in one one, you know, group of teams, you know, I was still playing in the first division, you know, so it was still, I wasn't playing against second division teams, you know, whereas the likes of Billy Boston and Brian Bevan, who were the guys who scored more than me, were playing in, in days when, you know, you didn't have division. So they obviously, they, they, they could score a lot more tries than, than me, but I don't say, oh, I'm the greatest try scorer in the first division era, you know what I mean? But now a lot of times now, you know, it's got differently. I just think to myself, you know, you do the best you can in your era and, you know, let the chips fall where they can. And I've always been about that. And, uh, you know, so that's how I judge myself. I judge myself against everybody. You know, the people that are come today and people who are in my time and the people who came before me. 
And that's why I always used to think I was a history of the game. I, I used to learn about these people and find out about these people and, you know, think about the things that they've done. And, you know, that's, that's the way I was. I was always a student of the game. And, uh, you, know, you know, I don't say everyone should be like that, but that's just the way I was. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 